0: Well, we're continuing to look at the seven deadly sins already. We have looked at pride and envy and anger. Last Sunday, we looked at sloth or what is called sedia, a spiritual laziness or indifference, or perhaps we just lose our passion for the things for which we formerly cared about. So this morning, we're going to look at greed. So let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the third gospel, to Luke chapter 12. And in this text, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate what greed is all about. (coughs) In verse 15, Jesus sets up the parable. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed or all kinds of covetous behavior. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I think that we all could probably agree that greed is an attitude or a behavior to avoid. As best we can, we ought to avoid it. But it doesn't really seem that greed is something that ought to be elevated up to the level of sin, does it? I mean, so what if I daydream periodically? about what it might be like to spend. I mean, use. All of the millions of dollars of payout from the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. And you're a good Baptist, so I know you don't <clears throat> play the lottery, so I won't even mention that. So what if I dream about the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, about how I'm going to use it in a productive way? What's wrong if... If we want, you know, a nice home and a nice car, clothes, jewelry, periodically we might like to take some nice trips to some various destinations. What's wrong with the fact that, you know, occasionally I might want to go to a sporting event or a concert? What's wrong with my being a part of an athletic club? What's so bad about making sure that I have adequate retirement savings for the future. And what's so wrong when we occasionally indulge on some, you know, some material pleasures on myself or my family, my children, my grandchildren? What's so bad about that? And maybe we are a little extravagant on occasion that borders on the edge of greed But don't call it sinful. It can't be one of the deadly sins, right? Newsflash. Guess what? Believe it or not, the Bible does place greed and materialism in the category of some fairly significant sin. Newsflash. It's in there. Now, don't trust me saying it. Let me give you some evidence. Let me put some things on the screen this morning that just a few examples of biblical scripture that summarizes what the Bible has to say. Paul, all these are from Paul. Romans chapter 1, on that great chapter where Paul spends a lot of time talking about some inappropriate ways of sexual expression. And he goes on to say, "...they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, uh uh-oh, greed." Right up there. And depravity. They are full of envy. That's one of the seven deadly sins. We've already talked about that. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. And then Paul stops preaching and starts meddling. They are gossips. Isn't that interesting that greed is in the category where Paul starts out with wickedness, evil, and the third one is greed. First Corinthians chapter 6. Once again, Paul has talked about various sexual sins. And then, and he's talking about people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he starts that list of various sexual sins. And then he says, nor thieves, nor the greedy. Isn't that interesting? Sexual sins... Thieves the greedy. Nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then in Ephesians 5, Paul writes, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Paul must have some interest in sexual sin, hasn't he? Because he's named it every time. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity Look what's third. Greed. Isn't that interesting? Because these are improper for God's holy people. And then in Colossians 3, Paul writes, put to death. Kill it off. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, here he goes again, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. That's one of the seven deadly sins. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. You're putting something else above the true God. Thank you for putting the scripture on the screen. And then we have the text this morning out of Luke 12, where Jesus pronounces the same fate... For this rich man who is producing good crops out of a good piece of land, this man is described as someone who does not consult with God about how to use his material possessions. This man is a man who instead is self-focused, he is self-absorbed on his own achievements and what he wants to do with his own money. And what he wants to do is he wants to build bigger storage facilities to keep and hoard so that he can take life easy. As the text says, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but in this parable in three verses, 11 times, the man, the rich man, uses the words, I, or my, or myself. 11 times in three short verses. Did you notice that Jesus, before he tells the parable, begins in verse 15? He says, watch out or take care. Be on your guard. Jesus is saying, look out, avoid, against all kinds of greed. That's having, receiving, or wanting more. Having that covetous heart. Breaking the 10th commandment out of the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. Jesus goes on, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus concludes the parable with God calling the rich man in this parable a fool because he's focusing his life on acquiring and keeping only to discover that he's going to die and he can't take it with him. As Billy Graham has said, as I've read in the past, There are no no U-Hauls that are hooked up to hearses. As the old Spanish proverb goes, there are no pockets in shrouds. You really can't take it with you. And then Jesus makes the final connection in verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself but is not rich towards God. Isn't it interesting that God calls the rich man at the end of this parable a fool? Now the word fool in the Greek comes from a word which means to think or to reason. But the word for fool has the letter A in front of it. Which in Greek means the absence of or it can mean no. So an atheist is someone who says there is no God or there is an absence of God. An ag a agnostic is someone who says we do not have any knowledge about whether God can exist. So a fool is someone who does not have any reason or thinking or long-term perspective. Their perspective actually is very short-sighted. The fool is someone who throws reason and thinking and long-term perspective to the wind and moves on without it, not realizing that more can actually mean a lot less in the long run. So that's what the sin of greed does to us. It can throw away the long-term eternal perspective it can throw it away in favor of short-term gain and pleasure. Now, we need to be clear about something. Having wealth and money is not considered a sinful thing, biblically speaking. It's not a bad thing that we have money and things and possessions. What the Bible is very clear about is that what leads us into that deadly sin Of greed is illustrated by this rich man. First of all, he's full of pride. That's the first deadly sin. And then because he is full of pride, his money fools him into thinking that it alone is the source of earthly happiness and heavenly gain. So, once again, let's let Scripture speak for Scripture about what's the proper use of our money and our things. so I want to put some more scripture on the screen that Paul gives us from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul in the first scripture is helping us to understand some of the potential traps of money and the proper use of wealth and possession. This is what Paul writes. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Have you ever seen somebody that's been plunged into ruin and destruction because of their over eager efforts to attain material things? You got a family member, you got a work colleague, you got someone in your past that you've known, a neighbor, somebody that's just so. Absorbed with material stuff. And Paul goes on to say, for the love of money, now now this is really important to clarify. For the love of money, it doesn't say is the root. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I've seen that happen. Piercing themselves with many griefs, credit card debts, mortgages they can't handle. Being in debt so much and owning things that the reality is that things own them. you ever seen somebody where they don't own things, things own them? And then Paul gives us a command. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, time out. You're sitting back perhaps saying, he's not talking to me because I'm not rich. But let's understand. If we live in the United States of America, and we do, we are rich. You and I, compared to the vast majority of the folks, of the seven billion folks who inhabit this planet, we're rich. So don't sit there and say, well, now Paul's not talking to me. Yes, he is. He's talking to you and to me this morning. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. And it is so uncertain. If you don't believe it, think about stock market last week and a week and a half dropping 10% 1,800 points in a couple of days 401Ks and 403Bs and stocks and mutual funds and bonds everything dropped you felt it and I did too so we understand that these sort of things are uncertain as Paul writes but we're told to put their hope we put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You hang on with that word generous because that's one of the remedies of greed. is generosity. And then Paul keeps going on in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, we all want to live the right kind of life and the abundant life, and sometimes we get it mixed up, that it's all based on what we've got and what we have. And then Paul gives us one last word. All this is in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. Last time I saw a baby that was born, it was just all skin and bone. Mom and Daddy had to even put clothes on it when it came in. It it didn't even come with his own suitcase, did, did he or she. We came, brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. I've done hundreds of funerals and memorial services In my ministry, and I've never, at least from what I can tell, never seen one person take something out with them when they left. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those are the two key words to combat and remedy. Thank you for putting that on the screen. To combat and remedy greed, it's generosity. It's a willingness to share. And it's contentment with the place that God has, has put us and the things with which He's blessed us. Generosity and contentment are the two remedies, biblically speaking, I think, for that great sin of greed. But you know, as Arthur Gish wrote in his book, Beyond the Rat Race, we buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. So yes, we do pray that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But sometimes it seems like our trust is more in the American dream than it is in the Lord's Prayer. So we're a little bit like What Elvis sang. You remember Elvis Presley? Elvis sang, we're caught in a trap and I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. But you know it's not a love trap we're caught in. It's a consumer trap. It's a rat race trap. And the trap tells us that happiness and peace is found not in sufficiency, it's found in abundance. That trap tells us that happiness is found not in what we need, it's always found in what we want. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said that there are three conversions necessary. Every person needs to have three conversions, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the wallet. St. Augustine, the great 4th century bishop of Hippo, said something along this line, that God gives us people to love and things to use. And that sin at its core, sin in short, is the confusion of those two things. We start to love things, and we begin to use people. So yes, if we're not careful, greed really can become, I mean, it just kind of silently infiltrates our life in such a way that we don't even hardly see it happen. But if we're not careful, yes, greed can be a most deadly sin. And it really can fool us into not realizing that on so many occasions, more really means less.